Good morning, church. As we uh, get started today, I want to invite you to find the book of 2 Kings. This is the uh, second set of records about the kings of Judah and Israel. And it's, uh, it's listed that way. You'll, you'll find First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. If you were looking for Second Kings in my Bible, that's at about page 350. So you can kind of get that image of where it is as you're looking for it. I encourage you to, to get a real physical copy of the Bible in paper so that you can feel it, touch it, and move it, and underline on, in it. I know that uh, for a lot of us today, technology has taken over a lot of, of what these uses are. But um, there's something to me about holding this and carrying it with me and reading it. And it just, it, it takes a piece of my heart with it as I use it. But as you're finding 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 18, I want to talk to you today about troubles teaching. The, the topic today is troubles teach. Troubles teach. I think troubles teach us better than anything else does. Most of us don't do well. We don't learn a lot from good things, from good times. We don't learn a lot from things that are not troubling. But we learn a great deal when we go through difficulties. We learn a great deal in troubling times. And I want to talk about troubles teaching from, from First Kings or Second Kings chapter 18. It's the story of Hezekiah and his encounter with uh, a king of Assyria named Sennacherib. But before we go any further, I want to tell you a little story. It's from David Goggins. You may know who David Goggins is. David Goggins is, uh, he's become rather famous. Um, he's written a, a book, a, a New York Times bestseller um, called You Can't Hurt Me. And it's really his saga, really tough life, really hard things happening to him in his young life. And then his saga through military, out of the military, and back into the military. But between those two stints in the military, he joined the Air Force successfully after a great deal of hard work to make that happen. Came out of the Air Force, and his, his self-description was, I ballooned up to 300 pounds. He went from 6'4", 175 pounds to 6'4", 300 pounds. And he was making excuses for himself, as he said. He was doing powerlifting, and he was bulking up for that, and he was just eating like crazy. But he talks about a moment, a bellwether moment, when things had to change. He had a job as a pest control professional. And he was in a restaurant. All we know about it is it was in Indianapolis, Indiana. He said, I can't tell you the name of the restaurant or anything more about it. Otherwise, they'll be sued. And he had done the outside. The perimeters of restaurants often have those little traps in them to catch the mice or other things that are attracted to the smells and the grease and the, the leftovers that are outside in a, a restaurant. And he'd gone inside, and he was doing some cleanup in the, rest, in the inside, taking, checking traps, etc. And he saw la cucaracha. When he saw that, uh, that little vermin run, he realized there were, a f uh, there were several of them on one of the counters. And so he started to look at where they were going and uh, grabbed his spray gun, got down under the counter, and he could see there was a gap, kind of a little, little crack under the counter. And he took his gun and he sprayed into that crack. And he said, apparently, I hit the nest because cockroaches started raining down from everywhere. 
He said, cockroaches are falling on me. They're falling on the counters. They're falling on the floor. They're just, it's like the cockroach invasion from Mars. They're just falling all over him. And in this moment, he realizes, this is my life. I am the cockroach guy. And as the reign of cockroaches continues, he picks up his equipment, walks out the door, turns in his truck, and he's done with that life. But it took a cockroach moment for him to change his life. He said to himself, this will be my future if I don't change things now. And I think for all of us, we hit some cockroach moments in our life. When things just get bad enough that we decide to change some things. In the story that we're reading today, I want you to notice how much difficulties affect people's change, affect people's willingness, and affect people's awareness. So as you're opening your, uh, your Bible with me to 2 Kings chapter 18, I should have opened mine already, sorry. <clears throat> We're getting the introduction to, to what's going on around us. There's a historical introduction going on. Hezekiah is the new king in Israel. Hezekiah is a good king. The Bible says that when he, when he became king, he was 25 years old. This is verse 2. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. And he goes through the things that he did. I'm going to pick up at verse 5. He trusted the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. So it says he stacks up against everybody. Everybody after him, everybody before him, and he is a number one, the best king Israel ever had. Now this includes David and Solomon. This includes some, a, a hierarchy of some pretty amazing people. And it says this guy is number one. And then it says this, verse 6, because he held fast to the Lord and did not depart from following him, kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded to Moses. So I want you to get to that. That's the setup. This is a good king. This is a great guy. He's about to interact with something that he can't change that is going to impact everything that happens from this point on. In his seventh year, so he's been king for just seven years. He's 25 when he starts, so now he's about 32. In his early 30s, the king of Assyria. Now, I don't know, I don't know how to describe this for you. I want you to go back to junior high or high school history. So kind of go back to junior high, high school history, kind of teleport yourself to junior high. Do you remember the, anything, anybody ever talking to you about the Fertile Crescent? Anybody ever say anything about the Fertile Crescent? Crescent is a C. Okay, so think of a C. Then I want you to think of where Egypt is in your head. So Egypt's down here in your brain map. Israel's right here in your brain map. And then up around here is Babylon and all of that. Do you see the sea? Egypt, Israel, 
Babylon. Can you see the sea? I'm drawing it in the air. Look on your TV screen. It's a sea. It goes like this. Got it? It's a sea. See the sea? Fertile crescent. It makes that nice shape that looks like a sea. From Babylon down over here, Ur of the Chaldees over here, Kuwait today, from Kuwait over here, all the way up around through Babylon. What's in the, what's in the news today? Iran. So you go, uh, uh, Iraq, I'm sorry. As you come up from Kuwait into Iraq, down through what is modern-day Syria, Lebanon, along the coast through Israel, and down to Egypt. That's the Fertile Crescent. That's the place where really the organization of first cities seems to be, to be uh, in the West at least, a beginning. In that space, a king rises up in Assyria. Great name, Tiglath-Pileser. This king rises up. These, these, these leaders have been there. Sargon, Tiglath-Pileser, Sennacherib. These guys rise up in the city of Nineveh. Yes, same Nineveh where Jonah was. They rise up in the city of Nineveh. They grow their armies. They get stronger. They get more powerful. And they slip down into the, to their south. And they start taking over the cities along the Tigris and the Euphrates River. They win. They feel good about themselves. They move on. They then move down to their west and southwest. And they come across the ten northern tribes of Israel. The prophets have been predicting this for decades. The prophets have been telling the northern tribes, if you don't stop your idolatry, the Assyrians are coming. They name these guys. If you don't stop your idolatry, this is happening. These people are going to come. They're going to displace you. They're going to haul you away. You're going to be, everything here is going to be destroyed. Stop your idolatry. Stop following after Baal. Stop following after all these other things. When they get to Samaria, they've arrived in central Israel. So, Kuwait. Iraq, Syria, Israel, Egypt. They're right here, central Israel. So they've, they've started trying to complete the sea. They're right here in central Israel. Samaria is 50 miles northeast, or northwest, 50 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's here, Samaria's here. Hope you can see this. This is, this is very good TV right here, okay? They're, they're set like this. They are 50 miles away from Israel. They siege Samaria for three years. They, they, they siege, meaning they surround the city. They let no one in. They let no one out. They begin to try to dig under the, under the edges of the wall to make the wall collapse. They begin to batter the walls with battering rams. All, they, 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 they're excellent at siege warfare. They're excellent at siege warfare in, in ancient times. They're very, very good. They're well known. There are records of the siege of one of these cities, which I'll show you in a little bit, that represent this exact experience. They surrounded Samaria and attack it. They're battering the walls. They're not letting anyone come or go. Finally, after three years of siege, they hold out. They finally give up. They go into Samaria. They decimate the place and the people, and they haul everyone away. Fun story, right? What you need to know is they don't stop there. They then continue south. They stop by Jerusalem, and they tell the king of Jerusalem, who is? Hezekiah, young king, we won't destroy you if you just pay us. It's, it's just a protection racket. It's, the mob had nothing on these people. It's just a protection racket. We will kill you if you don't help. We won't, do, we won't kill you if you do. So he just starts paying them tribute. That's what they call it. We, we call it taxes. They, they start pay, he starts paying them tribute. As he does, 
they go on down to Egypt and they have the fight the final battle to finish the sea with the Egyptians and they take over the whole region. So now they have this empire that is shaped like this. And it goes from Egypt down in the southwest, across Israel, up through modern-day Syria, into Iraq, down, well, Nineveh is up in that region above Iraq, down then all the way to Babylon, all the way to Kuwait, modern-day Kuwait, or Ur of the Chaldees. Ur, Babylon, Nineveh, Syria, Damascus, Samaria, Jerusalem, Egypt. I should have brought you a map. I should have just hung one on the wall back here. But if you have one in your head now, if you get the picture, I want you to understand Hezekiah is watching this and it's 50 miles away. Hezekiah has been king for seven years and 50 miles away is the strongest, greatest, most powerful nation in the world that he knows and they are conquering his relatives. Ten tribes of Israel will suffer under this man. He will take over the entire nation. This is a cockroach moment. The man is looking at these Assyrians coming out of the woodwork like cockroaches. And he says, what am I going to do? I'm going to give in. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to pay tribute and protect my people. Good move? Seems reasonable to me. Because Tiglath-Pileser goes home. And as happens in these ancient times a lot, Tiglath-Pileser doesn't last a long time on his throne. And he dies. His son, Sennacherib, there will be a test on these names, becomes the king. When Sennacherib becomes the king, the Bible tells us that our good buddy, Hezekiah, decides to stop paying his taxes. You know how governments feel about you not paying your taxes, right? He decides to not pay his taxes. So if you refuse to pay your taxes, what does the government do? They come after you with a gun and try to make you pay your taxes, right? They threaten to arrest you and haul you off and put you in prison if you don't pay your taxes. He stops paying his taxes. So this is not only happening there in Jerusalem, but it's happening all over the place. A lot of scholars believe the Egyptians are encouraging the people who are in this realm to stop paying tribute to him. He's the new king. Maybe the Egyptians can regain their control. Maybe they can come up out of Egypt and regain territory. And then you just, you, all you would do is pay taxes to a different person. Now, they, like every politician coming into office, promise you that their taxes won't be the same as the other people's taxes and that you'll get more benefits from their taxes. It's always, it's never been different. Always been the same story. He makes a political decision on behalf of his people, probably based on a promise from Egypt. And it begins to rain cockroaches on the nation. He sprays into the nest and the the Assyrians come back. The Assyrians come rolling back into town. They go to the south and they shut up the Egyptians. And then they come back north into the region around Israel and they begin to attack the cities there in that region because the king rebelled. So in the 14th year, seven years later, in the 14th year of our guy Hezekiah, Sennacherib attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. 
So what he does then is he goes back through all of the cities. So you only want the fortified cities. You don't care if there's no wall around a city. You can take that any moment. But all those walled cities are where garrisons and military and strength are. And so he attacks all those cities, and he just starts ripping them off one after another after another. Same thing, siege ramps, battering ramps, all this stuff. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever watched one of those old movies where somebody's attacking a castle? You know, they, tr- they try to get in, they bang the, the, the walls of the battering. Same story. It's just a city instead of a castle. They're banging against the walls, they're digging under the walls, they're trying to get in. The story goes that he attacks all of them and he gets the last one, which is Lachish. Now, Samaria was 50 miles northwest. Lachish is about 50 miles southwest. Coming back from Egypt, it's the last fortified city before Jerusalem. Okay, I know you guys are just loving this history lesson. I have a reason for this. You and I are living in a time where cockroaches are falling out of the ceiling because of other people's decisions. It may be somebody walked into your house with a way big load of COVID and dumped it on your family and it just rippled through your family. Somebody else's cockroach decision got you. It may be some political opinion or some agenda that somebody brought to your home, brought into your life that you just hated. Cockroaches are falling from the ceiling. You may have family. You may actually be connected to what's going on with the fires around California. Somebody started a fire by accident. Somebody started a fire on, person, on purpose. It rolled through your neighborhood and cockroaches have fallen from your ceiling. You may be connected with the hurricanes that are flying in off the Gulf this, this, uh, this fall. They've just been rolling in there one after another and filling up the land with water. Again, just this week, another one, eight feet of storm surge went through the coastal cities cockroaches have fallen from your ceiling. Things that are out of your control are causing problems in your life. But troubles teach. Troubles teach. Don't forget, troubles teach. I want you to see in this experience for Israel that other people and other things can affect the decisions of your life. Can affect the, the, can affect the outcomes of your life. Sennacherib could have stayed home. He had plenty. He has a massive city. He's built this and expanded this beautiful city. He's cut a waterway through the city so that their water supply is running perfectly. Everything is going well for him. He's doing really well. But he can't deal with rebellion. And so he goes and he attacks the rebels, the Egyptians, the little community of Judah, the last few remnant pieces of what has been the nation of Israel, the people of Judah and Benjamin and Levi and those remnants that rushed down toward Jerusalem and gathered themselves there from the other ten tribes. That's all that's left of the people God in, that God had inhabiting the promised land. And now because the king decided to rebel on the advice probably of another king, Cockroaches are running from the ceiling. The Assyrians come to the city of Lachish, its last city. This is actually a picture that was an engraving, a stone carving on the walls inside Sennacherib's castle, inside his fortress city. This is his display of the capture of Lachish. 
it's weirdly hard to look at because it's one-dimensional. An artist has popped out a couple of things. That's a Siege Works engine there, that little round, lo- looks like a little car. They would run that up against the wall. You can see it's hitting the tower. It would hit the base of the wall, really, and it would stab that metal end into it, and they would ram and ram and ram the wall and try to break it down. Imagine being the guys pushing that because there were a bunch of guys pushing that up the ramp and into the wall, banging it against the wall, just banging it against the wall. There's a great job. What do you do? Oh, I push the siege ramp all day long. There were guys sitting on top of that in the next level with a bows and arrows. So they're hauling those guys plus the battering ram plus that heavy thing up a hill and ramming it against the wall. You talk about a job that feels futile. They're attacking the city. You can't, it's kind of hard to see all the parts moving around, but you can see the other highlighted pieces. Those are the captives of Israel who have been taken from the city or have fled the city and are being taken away to the king. Talk about a cockroach day. You get hauled out of your city. You're going into the hands of an unknown king who has deported 10 of your relatives, 10 tribes full of your relatives already. A modern artist tried to make this better for you. He actually gave it three dimensions. So this is what the interpretation in modern art is. You can still see the siege ramps off to the right with the arrow on it. You can see that there are groups of people down in the front that are being captured. You can see the walled city, the people on the roof, or on the walls fighting downward, the people climbing up the ladders with their uh, protection over their heads. Israel is trying to save its last city before Jerusalem. It's a cockroach moment if there was ever one. Lekish falls. The people are captured. Plunder is gathered from the city. And that's where we find our friend Sennacherib's next focus is Jerusalem itself. The crazy thing about Jerusalem, it has never fallen. Jerusalem has never fallen in the history of Israel. Nobody has been able to capture Jerusalem from Israel. David, as you recall, sent spies up through a water channel to get there the first time and get in and let people in. But Jerusalem has been this little gem that's never actually been destroyed. It's, it's rumored to be very wealthy. Money keeps coming out of it. Every time there's a tribute demand, gold and silver come out of the city. It's rumored to be a very wealthy city. Hezekiah, in fact, has shown some of that wealth off and will pay for it later. But 180,000 plus men are gathered not far from Jerusalem in the valleys around waiting for the word to attack. Now, if I'm their their, uh, commander, I'm like, Rest for a while. You guys have been battering Lakish for weeks. Let's just rest for a while. Get your strength back because we're doing this again. Uphill into a city on top of Mount Moriah. The mountain of God. The place of the temple. The place of God's residence. We're going back to Bethlehem. The story proceeds and I invite you to read through most or all of it if you'd like, but It proceeds with a a messenger being sent to talk to Israel. It's interesting to me. It's interesting to me that that when you really want to get hold of a people, you want to undermine their confidence. 
messenger comes up to the city, comes up to the wall, and he begins to speak in Hebrew, and he tells them, hey, we're coming, we're going to destroy this place, you guys just should just surrender. Don't let Hezekiah, don't let Hezekiah tell you that your God is going to save you, because it's not happening. You could just, just surrender, come out, we will take care of you. You know what they did to the people in Lachish that were fought on? They impaled them on sticks above the city. So taking care of you could be a problem. 180,000 troops. People inside a walled city. They'd been preparing for this. Hezekiah's tunnel is built during this. Hezekiah builds a tunnel from the Gihon Springs into the middle of the city so that you can drink water while you're under siege. That was a good thing. He expands the wall. He doubles the wall where the water is. He expands the wall to be able to encompass more than two-thirds more of this more city so that all those refugees could come inside. That was a good thing. But he rebelled against it. King of Assyria. and There are 180,000 cockroaches camped all around. You could see him from the city. You could see him out there. Campfires, tents, weaponry, soldiers. Pillaging the land for food and entertainment. It's cockroach land. And then this guy who's the messenger. Then he says this. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Your God doesn't stand a chance against us. We live in a time where that word is pushed out all the time. We live in a time where our society has become more and more and more secular and more and more people will look at you when you say you follow God as if you have just grown a third eye. When you say, I trust God, I have faith in God, they'll, they'll, they'll think of you as some kind of an odd person. You, you don't believe in science? Well, yes, I do. Well, how could you follow God? Well, I just don't believe in your version of science. Well, you, you, don't, you don't believe in logic? Well, yes, I do. Well, how could you follow God? I just don't believe in your version of logic. And people will attack your mental capacity because you follow God. Or, 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 and they'll look at you like compassionately. What they really want to say is, are you ignorant? There are a lot of people who will tell you there's no precedent that they know of for God's intervention. And they're standing there shouting in Hebrew so that everyone could hear. Because the messenger of Sennacherib, backed up by 180,000 soldiers, is saying there is no precedent for gods of any kind getting involved and stopping Israel. We've captured seven of your cities. We're here for you. Don't let Hezekiah, don't let Isaiah, don't let anybody tell you that this is not God's intervention. 
Hezekiah gets a final message from this king explaining the terms of surrender. The Bible says he takes the letter in and he spreads it out before the Lord and he prays. He spreads it out and he prays. Lord, what are you going to do about this? Because there are cockroaches raining down on me in an enormous number and I don't know what to do. Isaiah the prophet who is in the city with Hezekiah sends a message to him. He says, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words you have heard. I want to speak to you if the if the words of our culture and our society have been eroding your trust in God, eroding your faith in God. Every time I turn on National Geographic, they tell me billions of years ago and millions of years ago, and this thing evolved from that thing, and over and over again, it's the same message. There is no God. You've climbed out, climbed out of the primordial slime, and you're just an ape that figured some stuff out. There is no God. You've climbed out of the primordial slime, and you're just an ape who figured some stuff out. There is no God. You climbed out of the primordial slime, and you're just an ape who figured some stuff out. It is not true. Call me a science denier if you want. But there's a lot of science on my side. The structures of the human cell are way beyond the comprehension of science, period. The structures of DNA are so much more complicated than anything we've ever been able to accomplish. It is impossible, mathematically impossible, for it to have just evolved out of the primordial slime. Recently, they've discovered that the coding on the outside of a cell may have thousands more times the information of DNA on a single cell. The organizational structures of the most infinitesimally small parts of you and the other things around this planet are organized, structured, and specifically set for their, ro- for their role. Do things change? Yes. Is there evolution? Yes. Things do change. No one's denying that there are changes within kind. No one's denying that things do change. But things don't change that much. The argument that somehow they've reproduced life by putting these amino acids together and shocking them just right has all kinds of problems. First of all, it's not life that they've reproduced. Second of all, they've carefully constructed this experiment. Third of all, it only lasts that long. They keep telling you this story. And the problem is, after hundreds of years of banging this drum, we're starting to march to its beat. Don't let them destroy your faith. But if the little blue speck we live on is miraculously, perfectly placed in our galaxy, not too close, not too far away, moving around in just the right spaces, 
out there beyond us, we have this big planet with this giant set of rings around it that catches most of the asteroids coming our way. It just happened. Just, but there's a net out there protecting us. God is in the details. There's plenty of science. Read it. Read it. Read it. He did not climb out of the primordial slime. You were a creation of a divine creator who intended for you to exist. You are not the end of some chain of monkeys. You are a creation of God unlike anything else on the planet. If you don't believe me, go to the zoo. Just look there. It may look like your little brother, but he won't act the same. God intended for you to exist. You are his creation. You are his beloved. Don't let him tear your faith down. Don't let someone who doesn't know God shout over the wall into your life and create heartbreak, dissension, and the end of your faith. We live in a cockroach reigning kind of a time this way. Don't let the words of people who don't know God and the rumors that they're spreading change your faith. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Isaiah says, look, Yeah, I know what the guy outside the wall is saying, but God says something else. I know what the guy outside the wall is saying, but God says something else. I know what you've heard, but God says something else. Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid of the words you have heard. God, he will hear you, or he will hear a rumor, sorry. He will hear a rumor. Sennacherib will hear a rumor, and he'll return home. Because a rumor starts to, to come up that the Egyptians or the Ethiopians are coming. And you know what Sennacherib does? Goes home. He leaves his messengers and he leaves his army and he starts to make his way back to safety. Step number one. God says, I'll get rid of the king and the kingdom. Outside the city is still the problem, 180,000 cockroaches milling about. And then one night, the Bible says the angel of the Lord went into the camp, and during that night, while they were sleeping, 180,000 soldiers They just wake up the next morning. They went to sleep that night and 180,000 of them did not wake up. And the army that was the problem went away.
standing on the wall, looking out that morning, they look across the landscape and something's different. There's no one milling about. There's no one coming out of tents. Fires are not being lit for the morning. Food smells are not rolling out. People are not starting into the villages. And as they're watching from the wall, their place of protection, they realize something's different this morning. And Israel slowly creeps out of its hiding place and goes looking for what's changed. And as they come out sending spies, there's no response from the camp. As they get closer, there's no response from the camp. As they get closer, there's no response from the camp. They finally arrive at the camp and they find that everyone is dead. Everyone else is gone. And they've left behind supplies. They've left behind weapons. They've left behind everything. Sennacherib went home. His army is decimated. The war is over. But the question at the end of any kind of trouble is what did I learn? David Goggins standing there in that restaurant with cockroaches raining down on his head. He decided that the life that he was going to live in the future was not going to be this life. What did you learn? Hezekiah, did did you learn to pay your taxes? That would help. I mean, you're going to have to pay somebody, I imagine. Did you you learn that you can trust God no matter what comes? What did you learn? Unlike most things, we actually have a record of what they learned. At least a song. A song about what they learned. It's recorded in Psalm chapter 46. It's it's the story, the song about what they learned. The song is written to the chief musician, the good one. It's a song of the sons of Korah. You should read the story of the sons of Korah. These are the redeemed remnant of a rebellion singing in the choir of Israel. The sons of Korah are the redeemed remnant of a rebellion singing in the choir of Israel. And the song is to be sung for Alameth. Probably means it was sung in a high register. People on the walls looking out at a silent camp. People on the walls looking out in a field where no no longer has where soldiers no longer sit say, God is our refuge. And our strength. God is a present help in times of trouble. I want you to catch the word. A present help. An absent help is a lot less helpful. God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we we will not fear, even though the earth is removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, 
though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. Stop. Break. Flee not. God is our refuge and our strength. He is present when we're in trouble. Even if the earth is removed, if the mountains are thrown into the midst of the sea, when the waters are troubled, when an earth shakes under my feet, it doesn't matter. Because I have God. The, the Assyrians are gone. The Sennacherib is gone. In fact, in a few years, he's going to be killed by his own sons. God is my refuge and my strength. He's a very present help when I'm in trouble. The earth shakes. The mountains fall. It doesn't matter because I have God. A lot of trouble can come my way. Cockroaches can rain on me all day, but I have God. I have God. There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God. There's no river in Jerusalem. There's no river in Jerusalem. It's up on a hill. There's a spring. There is no river in Jerusalem. There's a river, however, whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place, the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, the river. is our God. You know what the biggest problem in a siege is? Food and water. For a people who've just suffered through a siege, the the Lord says, I will provide what you need. Selah. This thing has been written in the third person all the way down. God is, God is, God is. And verse 10 comes along and it shifts. It jumps to the first person and now God speaks. A people who have been under siege, a people who thought they were going to die, a people who have been under threat, a people who have been in trouble, they, they, they've written a song to tell us what this, what this taught them. And they hear this message, this message from God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still is not a suggestion in the passage. Be still is a shout in the passage. Be still is an assertion in the passage. I was a wiggly kid my whole life. I'm a wiggly adult. And I was told very often to be still. Be still. It sounded like the impossible command. Be still. When I, was, when I sit still, I still move my fingers and my toes around. I just can't stop them. They just do stuff. They're like they're animated things that are not controlled by me. Be still. When trouble comes, the order comes out, and it's, it's like my dad from the front seat leaning back saying, Be still. That's the sound. Be still. Stop. Stop fighting. Stop tri- striving. Stop trying to do this yourself. Stop. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Stop. Know that I am God. Be still. Stop. Think. Be aware. 
there are a lot of idols in the world, but I am actually God. Stop fighting, stop pushing it out on your own, and let me be God for a minute. Let God be God and you be the follower. Remember the roles here. I love the Sabbath for this reason. The Sabbath is a weekly practice on being still. It is a weekly attempt at letting God be God. Step back from your work. Step back from your engagement with the world. Step back from all the things you're trying to do to manipulate this, this fiefdom you think you roll. And instead, be still. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted in the earth. Politicians can't control the outcome. I will be exalted in the earth. Military movements cannot control the outcome. I will be exalted in the earth. Your behavior cannot control the outcome. I will be exalted in the earth. Somebody spitting on my name on the internet doesn't change anything. I will be exalted in the earth. All the voices in the world claiming there is no God does not change the fact that there is a God. They can shout all in chorus if they like. They can sing songs about it if they like. It's okay. It doesn't change the reality. Be still. Know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted in the heavens. It's going to happen. It's a settled fact. When they sat inside the city facing their death, what did they learn? They learned to listen to the word of God. Be still. Stop. Let me handle it. When you're dealing with your faith and you want to jump in and fix something, when you're dealing with your own personal doubts and you want to fix it yourself, he says, be still. Let me be God. Stop. Stop. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. We're living in pretty messy times. But God knew about today from the beginning. He knew we'd be in it from the beginning. He knew that the devil would try to destroy the church by it from the beginning and he's not too scared of the devil he's not worried about the decisions other people are making he's not afraid and what he's trying to get us to understand trying to get me to understand that I can trust him. It's always been the question. Will you trust me? Will you trust me when things are going well? Will you trust me when things are not? Will you trust me when you're under siege from the outside? Will you trust me? Isaiah said to Hezekiah, 
Don't be afraid of a word. And God sees you still. And know that I am with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, sometimes we feel a little bit like David Goggins. We feel like the cockroaches are raining. And we feel like there's nothing we can do. Help us never to forget this period. Help us to realize what we need to from it. To remember the information that we learned. to recognize that you were with us through whatever. Some of us are pretty afraid. For six months, we've been locked up in our house. Some of us are very lonely and heartbroken. We have family that we love who are hospitalized and we can't see them. Some of us are worried that some politician somewhere is going to take away the religious freedom that we've experienced in America. Some of us are just afraid that all the things we've heard about you aren't true. But help us to know we no need to be afraid of our world and its worries. That we don't need to be afraid of the speeches of others. We just need to know that you are God. If we're struggling with the drumbeat of science against your existence, point us things that would teach us otherwise. Lord, set the set the lesson plan for each specific individual, please. Teach us as members of your body to share the good news that we discovered about you with one another. Help us to have the courage to testify of your intervention in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit out on the church, not just Westwood, but on every believer across this place. that believers might rise up in love for those around them. In prayer for our messed up world. And in testimony that there is a God. That he is who he is. And he loves them. 